Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Today I want to continue what I started last week preaching in this series First comes love, then comes baggage. And I want to preach today Firebox Part 2. Firebox Part 2. You can turn the mic down just a little. I want to read out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter 3, chapter 8. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, chapter 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion, for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Everybody say blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse, verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, I want to preach Firebox Part 2. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that in that name there is the availability for all who is here, all who is listening to experience your kingdom, to experience your will. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the truth and the grace and the victory that's in Jesus into our hearts, into our relationships, into our marriages. We thank you for this time to gather in that name. Work miracles by the power of your Spirit in our midst today. We'll give you all the glory, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe some of you have heard the saying that opposites attract, attract, and then they attack. Opposites attract, and then they attack. I remember when Michelle and I first began to spend time alone together in college when we met. My observation skills and critical thinking skills at the time put into my mind that this girl is mysterious. And I was like, yeah, you know, I like that. Make me work to discover all the mysterious depths that you're hiding from me. Come to find out she was not mysterious at all. She was just quiet. She wasn't thinking about anything. She's not like me. Her mind can actually when you're in the car or in a moment, supposedly not be thinking about anything. I didn't think that was possible. That's not how my mind works. So come to find out she wasn't mysterious at all. She was quiet and she has a strong vulnerability to falling asleep in the car rides around Georgia. I hate that I honestly have to admit that later uh, in our early years of marriage she got attacked for this. 
that initially what attracted me and, and that I found unique, she got attacked for it in the early years of marriage because I would turn to her and I'd say, what's wrong? She'd look at me and say, nothing's wrong. I would smile and say, no, come on, tell me what is wrong. Something's bothering you. Then she would begin to be bothered. And then I'd be like, see, I told you, something was bothering you. The self-fulfilling prophecy. And she's like, nothing's wrong. And I'm like, yes, something's wrong. And come to find out, nothing was wrong. She's just quiet. Her mind is actually is quiet at times. Or she was just tired in the car, falling asleep. We talked in part one of Firebox about three fires. The fire of sexual passion. The fire of tongues, the tongues of fire. And then the fire of purpose. The fire of sexual passion... Uh, draws us back to remember Jesus' passion. His passion for obedience to the Father. The tongues of fire remind us about the fire of the Holy Spirit, the tongue tamer who can get a hold of our tongue, that our tongue can be used to edify and bless our spouse and others. And the fire of purpose reminds us of the eternal purpose of the Father. Today, in Firebox Part 2, we're... Saul in our scripture that I read up front in 1 Peter 3 that the Apostle Peter in his first letter he begins to deal with the topic of suffering. See, there are certainly joys in marriage. But last week I mentioned the importance of having a kingdom purpose bigger than the pains that also come in marriage. A kingdom purpose that's bigger than the difficulties and the tension that will come in marriage. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, Peter, as he writes this letter about the topic of suffering, he says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered, notice that. We don't have a Messiah, we don't have a King, we don't have a Lord who's not familiar who's not not familiar with suffering Christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of God listen to me friends Suffering without the fear of the Lord pushes one away from the will of God. But suffering with the fear of the Lord pushes one towards the will of God. Everyone in here, you need to know it is the will of God for you to change. It is the will of God that you be transformed. It is the will of God that we cease from sin. We cease from habits and attitudes that harm others. Think about it in the context of marriage. Every married person, you need to understand it is the will of God that you be changed. That you not be the same person you were the day you got married. Whether you've been married one year or five years or ten years or 21 years like Michelle and I. 
It's the will of God to be transformed. See, notice there in the text, Peter says that, that in suffering, he or she who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There is no becoming more godly without suffering. Why? Because the picture of becoming like Christ is a picture of a cross. And a cross is a picture of the reality of restriction. When someone is crucified and hanging on a Roman cross, they were restricted from being able to move. They were restricted from being able to eat. They were restricted from being able to do what they wanted. The cross is a picture of restriction. And restriction speaks to suffering. Restrict a kid from eating candy and watch the kid suffer. They'll cry like you drop kicked them in the face. And all you did is say, no, you can't have that candy. Some of us today, God's will says, no, you can't have it. And it's not talking about just something small like candy. But that restriction of God's will is a form of suffering. There is no godliness without suffering because it's in self-denying our selfish ambition. That's a form of suffering. Saying no to the will of the flesh is painful. Not being able to live your best life of what you want is a form of suffering. Living God's life means there's going to have to be some restriction from what we in and of ourselves and our flesh would desire or want. Think about it in the context of marriages and relationships. Some marriages are struggling because a spouse is resisting the will of God. Resisting the will of God to be transformed. Resisting the will of God to change. Resisting the will of God to grow. To become more like Christ. I can picture, maybe some of you can picture, because unfortunately maybe some of you wives, this might be your reality, but I can picture some husband saying to his wife, you knew who you were marrying when you married me. So leave me alone about my lack of affection. Leave me alone about my lack of financial awareness. Leave me alone about my isolation. Not opening up and sharing to you as if that liberates him before God of his need to grow and change. I can imagine some wife just in a heated moment snapping back at the husband you knew I was like this when you married me. As if that liberates us from God's call for us to be transformed, to grow, to change, to not be the same we were when we first got married. Let's be clear. Some of you are not growing in your marriage because you're not growing in God. Some of you are not growing in your relationships and your friendships because you're not growing in your relationship and friendship with God. In 1 Peter 2 verse 1, he continues the Apostle Peter saying, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and, e and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Notice what the Apostle Peter says, it's the will of God for you to lay aside things that do not glorify God. 
and do not benefit your marriage and your relationships. He highlights laying aside evil speaking. He highlights the speech and the fire of tongues, the tongues of fire that doesn't build up our spouse. We looked at it last week, how hell wants to get a hold of our tongue. Hell wants to get a hold of that hollow place in our mouth, the tongue, and seek to empower our tongue for belittling speech, disrespectful, dishonoring speech, words that cut, attitudes that tear down. The Apostle Peter also highlights hypocrisy. What what does this mean in the context of relationships and marriage? Areas in our spouse's life that anger us. Areas in our spouse's life that it's a major source of frustration for us, yet we do the same things. That's why Jesus said when it comes to experiencing transformation and when it comes to being changed, Jesus said a principle necessary for transformation and to receive the grace and the ability of God that He's made available for you and I is that we first, everybody say first, we deal with the beam in our own eye. When I'm not willing to first say, God, you've called me to change, you've called me to grow, then hypocrisy will be my default. I won't change, but I'll put pressure on my spouse to change. It is the will of God for you to grow in God, to become more like Jesus, to be transformed, to become a better spouse, to become a better friend. Why? Notice what the Apostle Peter appeals to. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Because we have tasted the Lord's goodness, we are to desire others would taste of His goodness. Would taste of His goodness through us. That our spouse would experience the taste of the Lord in and through us. That we would have a desire to grow so that our spouse would be able to experience more of Christ manifesting through us. That in our friendships and in our relationships, people would be able to experience more of Christ manifesting in us and through us. Peter said, desire like a newborn baby to grow. Have a hunger for growth. Have a desire to grow. That our marriages and our relationships don't stay in the season of just newness and like a baby, but it would continue to grow towards maturity. Maturity in God. Some of you are not growing in your marriage because you haven't determined that you have spent enough time doing your own will and living and walking like the unbelieving world around you. Look at this. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 2. That he or she no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men before the will of God. For we have spent enough, everybody say enough, of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. The reason some are not growing and some marriages and some relationships are not growing is because you are still fine with your worldly speech. You're still fine with being worldly. You're still fine with your selfishness. You still have behaviors and actions that you walk in that does not bless and build up your spouse in marriage. 
you've not reached a place of enough. And when we find ourselves not reaching a place of saying enough, we need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit to receive the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not removed in the new covenant. The fear of the Lord remains. Now the new covenant says because we have available access to grace that can transform us. We should have more godly reverence because it removes the excuse from me that I can't change. No, God's made a way in Jesus for us to access His transforming power and grace. We have availability now to the ability of God. This is why Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 1.7 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, listen to me. The fear of the Lord leads me to saying, enough. This has been in me enough. This attitude has been in my life enough. This habit has been in me enough. I've lived and acted this way enough. It's not helping my marriage. It's not helping my friendships. And it is enough Notice Peter said that we should have this heart that we've spent enough of our past lifetime living and acting like the world around us. Enough for less than God's best. We got to get in our heart, say, enough for settling for less than God's best. God's best for my marriage. God's best for me. God's best for my relationships. Enough of settling. Enough of not growing into whom God has called me to be and live. There are several reasons that people become willing to change, but oftentimes the primary reason is suffering. Suffering... God desires to use in our life to bend the wheel, to lead us to repentance. What is repentance? It's a change of mind and the change of the preference of our will. To now desire the mind of Christ and the thoughts of Christ and the will of God. But God knows us because He created us. And God knows how vulnerable we are when we suffer. Have you come to understand that you're vulnerable? I'm vulnerable. We're vulnerable when we suffer. And this is why we have to, when talk about suffering, Peter in his epistle brings up the issue of submission. See, when we talk about a firebox, I think maybe they have the picture from last week. Maybe not. If they have it, you can put it up. If not, if you were here last week, you saw a picture of a firebox. But a firebox is a metal container that can carry a fire. It's able to contain a fire. See, a firebox is a box for the fire. But there's a fire that causes positive change. There's a fire that can warm the heart with the love of God. There's a fire from heaven that can cause the positive change of transformation. There's a positive fire where God works in that fire. 
For our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews says. I want to give you an example of something. A simple example. If you put your hand on a hot burner on the stove, what will you do without anyone teaching you? Without anyone praying for you? Without anyone exhorting you? Without anyone encouraging you? Without anyone telling you to do it? What will you do? You'll immediately pull your hand off. Listen to me. That simple illustration illustrates that this is our tendency as humans. This is our default. That anytime there's heat, anytime there's fire, anytime there's pain, we're to pull away from it. We're to pull out of that. We're to pull our hand off of it. We're to run from it. And in the example of the stove, that makes sense. But there's other pain that's not bad pain. There's another fire that's not bad fire. Our God's a consuming fire. There's a good pain that leads to godliness. If you have a cancer growing in your body and the doctor cuts it out, it's going to be painful, but that's good pain. Because the momentary pain can lead to a life of health and flourishing. And God knows our tendency that anytime we feel heat, anytime we feel pain, anytime we suffer, that we would retreat, pull away. God knows how vulnerable we are when we suffer. So listen, He's designed certain contexts that after we willingly enter into those contexts, it is not intended to so easily get out of that context. And that's one of the reasons He created marriage. He created marriage to be a context because He created marriage to be like a firebox. Why? Because not all pain is bad pain. Not all heat is bad heat. Not all suffering is bad suffering. God has designed certain contexts to be a firebox. A, a box is a context. And a fire is what happens in the context. And the firebox is to be like a refining pot. The firebox of marriage is like a refining pot where God, the refining fire of God, works to grow us, works to transform us. Think about it. You and I, we come to the gathering. Well, uh, some of us, let me change that, come to the gathering weekly. But when it comes to marriage, that context is daily. Meaning, when God thinks, how can I accelerate growth? How can I accelerate transformation in one of my child's life? What is the context that's there every day? Marriage. So marriage is one of the primary fireboxes that God can use to grow us, to transform us, to experience His power, to change us, that we no longer live like the unbelieving world around us. We no longer demonstrate and live like our old past life. That's why Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. The refiner's fire is in the refining pot. And what happens when, when the refiner's fire is there in the refining pot? It's removing the dross and the impurities from the silver and gold. Why? Why? Because it's the impurities 
and the dross that makes silver and gold weaker. And in removing the dross and impurities, it strengthens gold and silver. It purifies it. Likewise, the firebox of marriage is intended to remove the old ways of our old life and grow and strengthen Jesus' ways in our life. The new ways of His kingdom in our life. What did the Proverbs say? The Lord tests and purifies our soul and our life. And the firebox of marriage, the firebox of relationships is a context where a good fire, a fire that God can use to grow us, to transform us, a good form of suffering that when we have the fear of the Lord pushes us towards God. It says, God change me. God grow me. God keeping me a desire to grow more like Jesus. That when I'm cursed, I'm able to bless that I'm able to stay tender-hearted when someone else has a hard heart. That when I'm wrong, wrong, I'm not then going to live wrong. But even when I'm wrong, I'm going to seek God and live right. In 1 Peter 1.7, Peter talks about the fire, the refiner's fire of God. He says that the genuineness of your faith, 1 Peter 1.7, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, listen, when we allow the fiery sufferings in the firebox of marriage to push, push us towards God, He will change us. Why? Because God who is a consuming fire is greater than the fire of suffering in the context of marriage. Listen, you might be in a difficult space in marriage and there might be the fire of suffering in marriage, but can I tell you that God who is a consuming fire is greater than the fire of that difficulty, the fire of that tension. And if you will allow the suffering and the difficulty to push you towards God who is a greater fire, He will change you. He will strengthen you. He will purify you. He will remove the dross and the things that Peter said were to lay aside so that we may grow into all God has made possible for you and I as His children. See, it's the expression of a genuine faith that is found praiseworthy and honorable. That's what Peter says. Peter says God wants to use this, this fiery trials so that the genuineness of your relational trust in Him would manifest more and more. And the more your relational trust to God through Jesus Christ is revealed and manifest, that is more honorable. That is more praiseworthy. This is how God can use the firebox of marriage to bring about a greater expression of your genuine faith and trust in God. That you're not just trusting that one day in the sweet by and by you're going to leave this earth and be in the presence of God, but you grow in having a relational trust that right here in the midst of the firebox, right here in the midst of a difficult world, right in the midst of some suffering, you still trust God, that God is with you, that God hasn't forgotten you, that God cares about you, and that He's provided truth and grace in Jesus to transform you, to grow you, to strengthen you, to empower power you. See, this is why the firebox of marriage is a covenant. Listen, marriage is not meant to be a context that one enters into lightly. 
Why? Because if it's something you can just get in and enter in lightly, then that means you can just exit it and leave it lightly. See, listen, without having a context you are submitted to, your vulnerability to pull away and run will take place once the fire of suffering is felt. This is why Peter in his letter when he writes to the believers who's experiencing persecution for their faith and relational trust in Jesus, he talks to them consistently about submission. Why? Because he says if you don't understand the context that God has designed for you to stay submitted, that when you start experiencing suffering, God knows we're vulnerable, we'll pull away, we'll run away, we'll go back to our old ways. And so God has provided in His design one context that takes submission. It's a covenant marriage. So that when the refiner wants to do his work, there's a context that is not easy for us to get out of, run away from. This is why stats show that those who don't grow and learn how to use suffering to push them into God's will, and they allow suffering uh, to push them away from God's will, and they leave marriage. Why? When those who get remarried a second time, it's 50%. Their second time will end in divorce. And then those who go a third time, it goes up from there. Why? Because if you don't learn in relational trust that God's given us access to His grace to make us resilient. He's given us access to, to God who can make us immovable. Immovable in pain. Immovable in difficulty. Jesus and the Apostle Paul and those that went before us, they weren't moved out of the will of God when they suffered. They pressed into God. Paul said, I know that the one I've committed my soul to, he's faithful to keep it. Even though I've been shipwrecked, even though I've been snake bitten, even though I've had the religious persecute me, and even though he took stripes upon his back, he said, I know him that I've committed my soul to is faithful to keep what I've entrusted to him. Hallelujah. For example, think of another firebox, another context that God has designed in His plan, the local church. This is one of the reasons the average American who attends a church in America stays on average two years before finding a new one. It's the same issue. Because God needs a firebox for you and I. That once we enter into it and believe, say, God led me to this place. God led me in this marriage. We have a covenant. God led me to this church. He needs that type of submission so that then the refiner's fire can start doing His work. Listen, there's no growth without the refiner fire challenging us where we believe wrong. Where we live wrong. Where we've not put off the, the ways of the world yet. If you have to find a church that's, that's just looking to confirm everything you already believe, then you're not going to grow. If you're looking for a spouse that's just a yes person to everything you want, you're not going to grow. You've heard me say before, when I'm in my own house 
on my own couch with my own remote by myself. It's easy. But let the the four other people in the house come on the couch. And then start the discussion on what you want to watch. Oh, Lord have mercy. I mean, an hour and 30 minutes later, i got to move on to the next thing. And we ain't watched one thing yet. See, listen, God has given by His design context that He needs us to submit to in order for the refiner's fire to do His work. One will not stay in suffering without submission. Now listen, let me give a disclaimer. We're not talking about, and you'll have to read all of Peter, and God can use it to help you get discernment. We're not talking about the wrong kind of suffering. If you're suffering physical harm in your marriage, or clear actual emotional abuse, listen to me. If anyone's suffering that kind of evil suffering, I wish you'd leave immediately. I wish you'd leave here and go pack as soon as you get home and leave that sucker or that person. We're not talking about evil suffering. Peter says, we're not talking about suffering. Physical harm. We're not talking about suffering for evil doing. Same thing when it comes to church. We're not talking about staying at a church that's apostatized like denominations. Where ungodliness is the ministers in the pulpit abomination before God, apostatized from the faith handed down once and for all. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm trying to get us to understand is that without you and I willingly entering into some context that God has designed so that we're submitted, it's not easy to get out of, that when the refiner's fire wants to start working in our life, we'll pull away. See, here's the interesting thing. Before the refiner's fire is put to the gold and silver, the impurities that's there are not visible. They're not felt. They're not seen. It's only once the fire starts burning that then it comes to the surface. That's why... When you enter into marriage, the greater fire that we talked about last week is burning hot. I sure hope so at least. Early on in marriage. You enter a church, woo, fire of man, this is awesome. God's using this place, speaking to me. It's amazing. I only preach the best sermons, King, to the people that's been here a couple months. It's never when they come the first time because that's still when they have the option because it's about willingly committing, right? So the first week's still there. But then once they commit and they keep coming, it's like, man, I only preach the best sermons to them then. But about a year, year and a half later, well, you know, Pastor Chad, just lately. Have you been getting anything? Man. Now he... God needs. If 
firebox so that when he starts turning up the heat, things that's been there the whole time then come to the surface. Why? Because what God reveals, He wants to heal. What God brings up, He wants His grace to transform. We're called to grow. We, we have grace that can transform. That, that the baggage of our past doesn't have to stay in our present and our future. But we can come to know the easy yoke of Jesus. That we don't have to carry around the, the ashes and the debris of our past and our failures, but we can know the oil and joy of the gladness of His kingdom. And we're not just saved one day for heaven, that we know the power of His saving work now, saving us from our sin and our selfishness and our baggage and our past and what was passed down to us and what was done to us and what we brought upon ourselves. So this again is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because it's the beginning of how you and I grow in knowing God and encountering God and becoming like Christ and having Christ live and manifest through us. We need an inner character box called the fear of the Lord that enables us not to run from the fire God is using to sanctify us. Remember, suffering without the fear of the Lord pushes one away from the will of God. But suffering with the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord that, no, I had peace. Godly counsel around me. My parents had peace about the marriage. And I know things are not feeling or things ain't going the way I thought on that day, but, but that's why it's a, the fear of the Lord, a firebox of character. No, I'm submitted to this. It's a covenant to this. And then God can use the fire of difficulties to grow you, to transform you. So there is, when it comes to the firebox, there is the issue of there will be suffering. There will be difficulties. But without the understanding of submission to God's design and the context He's given us, we'll always pull away and run from what God's trying to do. Pastor Craig's mentioned before, the reality is that when we get married to someone, we're not just marrying the person in front of us, we're marrying that little child and all that happened to that child when they were three and four and five. And that stuff, many of that stuff has been buried by the weight, the difficulty of life. It's been suppressed into the subconscious. It's been tried to push out of their heart. And God, once He gets them in a, in a context, a committed context where a sense of safety is felt, then the refiner fire can start turning up His heat. And that stuff begins to come to the surface. You say, wait a minute, I ain't felt this in years. Wait a minute, I haven't thought about that in years. The refiner fire is wanting you to know that He loves you so much. He don't want to leave you the way you are on your way to heaven to be with Him. He wants you to be transformed and experience the beauty of heaven now as Jesus prayed, right? That kingdom come on earth and in earth as it is in heaven. So there is suffering submission. Lastly, Someone, something. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, if there's going to be a change in the marriage, if there's going to be change in our relationships, it's going to take someone and it's going to take something. Listen, if something is going to change, then someone is going to have to change. You know how you've heard before, some have said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If something is going to change, then someone is going to have to change. Listen to me. Here's the hard 
appeal the hard truth of God's Scripture. It's like how He gave the prophet some words that were bitter in the mouth, but once you got it in, it became sweet in your stomach. The one who has the most fear of the Lord in the moment is the someone who would do something. The one who is the most mature and humble in the moment is the one that will be the someone that will do something. Pride tells us, you know what, once they change, then I'll change. I just thank God that our Creator didn't say that about us. You know, once they change, I'll change and I'll come and save them. I'd be still lost in my addiction. Lost in my willful transgression, blindness. And you never know. I can't make my spouse, you can't make your spouse change. But me changing and becoming more like Jesus is praiseworthy and honorable, Peter said. It leads to a greater manifestation of my genuine trust in the Lord. And listen, on the day, the revelation of Jesus Christ, He'll reward us. He'll reward us of where we've allowed His grace to transform us. You know why He rewards us where we allow His grace to transform us? Because there's still the myro factor. Our wheel's still involved. In every place you're willing to take up the cross and deny yourself and suffer so that He can cut sin and cut that which is not His best out of your life, He rewards us for that trust to surrender to Him and allow the refiner's fire to burn. That fire will burn out the chaff. It'll burn out the pain. It'll burn out the things of the old. It'll burn out the wood, hay, and stubble that was passed down to us or was put into us or we brought upon ourselves. And it will leave only the beauty and the strength of Christ in our life. That our life would not just be built foundationally upon Jesus, but we would have Christ formed in our life. That He would be our stronghold. He would be our sufficiency. He would be our ability to stand, having done all stand. So when it comes to someone and something, I want to give you four simple things to consider. The first thing when it comes to suffering in marriage and relationships is pray about it. You'd be amazed as, as pastors and elders in a local church when people come to us and we just ask the question, well, have you prayed about it yet? And oftentimes it's no. Because we are vulnerable to get so overwhelmed and to try to turn to so many other means to forget that through Jesus, God Himself has given you access to come to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and help in your time of need. In your time of need. Needs not to push us away. Need is to drive us to Him who knows our needs and wants to meet our needs in Christ. Pray about it. Learn to talk to the Father about everything. He already knows about it. He already sees it. Why not just talk to Him about it? You know what that does? Well, when you're willing to talk to the Father about it, it guarantees that you won't ignore it. It guarantees you won't suppress it. It guarantees that that won't just go further down in your heart and become like a hidden iceberg that tries to begin to lead to more destruction in our life. Pray about it. Secondly, find scriptures about it. Man, technology makes that easy. Some of these old books, I, when, when I was you know, young, like my son Caleb, or when I surrendered to the call of God in my life, you know, those books we had to use to find scriptures, I mean those topical books are like this big. 
They take up too much space on our bookshelves. It's already overflowing as it is. Now through a, a Bible app, you type in one word and boom, spits them all out. Find scriptures about it. Why? Because Joshua said you want to have God's success in that area you're praying and talking about, then you're going to have to hear His Word. You're going to have to meditate on His Word. You're going to have to day and night think about His Word, speak His Word. Third, confess to a trusted friend about it. Confess to a trusted friend about it. You know why that's important? Because that smacks the lying devil and his demons in the face when he tries to tell you you're alone. See, the physical presence of a trusted brother and sister reminds you physically that Jesus cares. Jesus knows Jesus is with you. Then fourthly, do something about it. Do some work of faith about it. Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, look, there's a labor of love and there's a work of faith. Meaning, if you trusting your relational trust that God has made available for you, grace. He's made available His transforming grace to change in you. And then if you change, some aspects of the marriage have to change. Then if you're trusting that relationally, then act on that trust. Do something. Sow a seed. If you believe, if you're trusting that the Lord's going to change you to become more sensitive to the needs of your spouse, even before you see that complete change, even before you see the process complete, even before you feel any feelings change, sow a seed and act accordingly to what you're trusting the Lord will change you about. Do an act of generosity. Plan a date. Give a word of kindness. Sow the new trustful action towards your spouse. This brings us back to our text that I read in the beginning. I want us to read it again. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 12. Come on, band. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life, anybody want to love life? See good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Notice Peter here says, all of you be of one mind. This is general application to all believers. And in this general application, it has application to marriages and relationships and friendships. It says, be of one mind. Listen, this is not one mind in the sense that we have the same likes and dislikes. This is a oneness of unity. It's a oneness of unity even in the midst of diversity. But it's we're of one mind that we want His mind and His will in all things. And see, when you get that one mind that we're after His mind, then the marriage is in a posture for grace and for change. We're not wanting a mind to try to prove who's right. That's why there's so much 
bickering and fighting in the body of Christ is because people think that God sent them to give their opinion on everything. God doesn't need my opinion. God needs my submission to the mind of Christ. He needs me willing to be in a context. One context is called the secret place of prayer daily. So there God can, like He overshadowed Peter in the manifestation of the kingdom and says, shush, son. Hear Him, Jesus. Get His mind. Listen to Jesus for His yoke, His teaching is easy as burdens light. He knows how to give rest for the souls, rest for the weariness of the mind to try to figure it all out. One mind. Then notice he says, having compassion for one another. We're to have compassion to one another. How much more in our marriages? We would be compassionate to one another. Do you know why some of us will be compassionate to brothers and sisters? in a context like the local church and then we'll forget to be compassionate to our spouse it's because not awareness or a lack of realizing eyes are watching see here in the gathering if I go out and I speak in an uncompassionate way to my spouse there's a lot of eyes that would see that but when we're at home and it's just me and her you forget the awareness that there's still the unseen eyes of Almighty God and King Jesus. Oftentimes the reason why things happen in the home and doesn't happen in public is we live with the conscious awareness that we care about what others think and see. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That even when no one can see our marriages, even when no one can see our homes, we understand that ultimately our king sees. For his eyes behold the righteous and his ears are open to our prayers and our needs. But that we would be compassionate to one another. Then he says, love as brothers. Spouses are to love each other, remembering we're both heirs of eternal life. That regardless of our roles and distinctions of roles in marriage, we're still both heirs of eternal life and therefore we should have love towards one another that we're children of God. Then he says, be tender-hearted. You know how to stay tender-hearted towards our spouse? is remembering that we also are tempted. That we also have weaknesses of our flesh. We also have vulnerabilities. And when you remember that you're vulnerable, that you are weak, that you're growing, you're able to stay tender-hearted to your spouse as they grow. Then the text says, be courteous. Courteous. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Proverbs says an amazing thing. It says... One who has control over their own spirit is mightier than one who can take a whole city. It takes less self-control to go and try to conquer a city than in the moment in heat of the battle in a relationship. Trust the sufficiency of Christ in you to still be courteous. To not when curse, curse back to walk away 
Just saying, look, if you want to re-engage this, we'll do it. But the way you're talking to me now, I will not engage this this way. To be able to bless and not return, listen, flesh to flesh. If there's going to be a different harvest, someone has to sow a different seed. And the seed that brings a different harvest is someone trusting Christ to help them. So an aspect of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit in such a context and moment. No retaliation, not becoming mean-spirited. That's why it's important to, when I talked about confess to a trusted friend, that's why it's so important. The reason it's so easy to stay in our dysfunctions in marriage and relationships is when there's no sense of anybody else knowing about it. You want to bring others to know about it so that things just can't continue on the way they are without no one saying, why aren't you going to the Father about it? Why aren't you allowing the grace of Jesus to to reveal to you why you do respond that way that you respond? Why don't you allow the Holy Spirit to comfort you and the fire of the Spirit to sanctify? Then it says, turn away and do good. See, that's, that's a great picture of what the fear of the Lord leads to. Turning away, I'm not going to do evil for evil, and then just keep doing good. Good while you're suffering. Good while you're wanting the other to change, and they're not changing, but you're going to do good. Why? Because ultimately the fear of the Lord enables you to live before God, even before your spouse. Then it says, seek peace, pursue peace. What's that mean? Seek first the kingdom. Make the kingdom a priority. Make the kingdom your pursuit. And then he says, his ears are open to their prayers. Pray to the Lord about it at all times. Listen to me, whatever it is, friend, I assure you, God sees, God cares, and in Jesus, God transforms. And I don't know whether it's your friendships, I don't know if it's your relationships, I don't know if it's your marriages, but wherever you have a committed firebox, God wants to use at time that firebox to turn up His fire to get out of you things that's holding you back from experiencing a life and seeing the good days that God has for you to putting on display who God's made you through the new birth and laying aside who you used to be or what you saw modeled in your home or how your parents spoke to each other or how your family dealt with things that we would seek first the kingdom. We would seek first the peace of God, the way of Jesus. We would pray about it at all times. God can use the context of marriage where there's submission. He can use that suffering to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, to become an example to those around us that I know there's pain, I know there's difficulty, but use that to draw near to God and don't allow it to push you away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.